Hello and welcome to Ending the Drug War in Maine on Justice Radio. My name is Charlotte Warren. I'm a social worker. I live in Hollowell and I'm here with my good gal pal, Zoe Brokus, who's the executive director of the Church of Safe Injection. Hi, Zoe. Hey. Today, we're going to spend a little time talking about a council that is in the process of meeting in the state of Maine and deciding how to distribute opioid settlement funds. The name of the council is the Maine Recovery Council, and it is the council that is tasked with coming up with how this money is going to be given out. Both of us believe really strongly that all of this work is in a continuum and if you are just using the word recovery, you're not also talking about harm reduction. And that's really important to both of us. Having that said, right off the bat, we want to give you a little bit of, of history first of how we got here. In the late 90s, early 2000s, OxyContin was developed. The developers, the pharmaceutical companies lied. They knew uh, we have access, all of the world has access to their documents that states they knew it was addictive, but they tried to hide it. They aggressively marketed this pain medication, OxyContin. One of the ground zeros of this aggressive marketing was Washington County, Maine. Another was in Appalachia, West Virginia. We can only assume those places were chosen based on records that the pharmaceutical companies had of workplace injury, uh, workers' compensation claims, etc. When we're talking about a large fishing community. So that that's sort of a little bit of the ground zero. What am I missing there, Zoe? Yeah. And I think that that's just the part that I don't know if everyone really, I mean, it took me a while to really understand the weight of that. Like we know they lied and it's not like just us saying like, that's our theory. Like it's not a theory. It's not like what just a certain group of people think like it, it has been proven in court. There's documents that are superficial uh, showing that. And I, we have to really remember that. I mean, I can go, I can go way down like a conspiracy theorist rabbit hole if, if we want to, but, but to really look at like the government, the FDA, like all of these people, the pharmaceutical companies were involved in this. And now in that same mindset, I will also say, and I don't say this lightly or to imply that the, the destruction destruction and pain and grief that that occurred were worth it. But if we knew what was going to come from this incredibly drastic pendulum swing away from people being able to access prescribed medications that are tested and overseen by doctors and scientists to know exactly what the product is that's going out to individuals, you know, if we knew that right. now what we're dealing with is an illicit supply of really unknown and unregulated substances. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't take that back anytime, but gosh, I wish there was oxys still available for people, you know, to be able to take a pill and to know exactly what it is, know that you're going to have the same effect every time you take the same amount. We lost access to that when this occurred. And, and to this day, we have prescribers who are being faced with jail time because their medical license somehow isn't as powerful as law enforcement saying, you know, you over-prescribed this medication, you prescribed this medication in a wrong way, you gave this person too many of this prescription and work 
we're going to tell you that now you're in trouble for that. So like we've seen these really crazy consequences and responses to these settlements, right? Where like doctors got really scared and rightfully so. I mean, right. really like there were absolutely pill mills and doctors over prescribing, but gosh, those seem like the good old days compared to what we're dealing with now, where we really have no idea and people are overdosing and dying without even intending to use an opioid. And so that I think is important to keep in the mix here. I don't know what the answer is, but it's like it, what we got from the settlements, you know, yeah, we got all this money that now everyone gets to argue about, but like we also had some real consequences to the medical system, which has also harmed many of us in many different ways. We're now like, you can't even get a prescription from a doctor. And so we're seeing more and more people kind of maybe self-medicating, maybe self-soothing, maybe just like drugs feel good and the world is rough kind of mentality, uh, whatever it may be. It's really, really hard to find something that's safe and consistent and doesn't, you know, and that you can't get from your doctor's office because you have to jump through these hoops that are nearly impossible. So we know you and I both agree a safe drug supply would be amazing if we actually weren't still burying our heads in the sand and pretending that it wasn't happening and somehow saying that to give people a safe drug supply would be saying it's okay. So Mm -hmm. let's just be clear about that. Like we see that as a, as a policy goal. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's put that aside. And then let's talk about the fact that the reason there's all this funding, the reason there's all this money is because these companies made huge profits off addicting people that were looking for relief for what was happening to their body through pain related to work, maybe related to cancer. So we had a bad actor, which are the pharmaceutical companies. So now we have these millions of dollars. So let's fast forward to that. My bill, LD 1722, became law in April of 2022. Not one dollar has been spent yet. So now from April to last November, sort of nothing happens. And then we all start getting really loud because we have to get really loud to the attorney general's office. Why isn't this council meeting? What is happening? We're sitting on all of this money. So the the council start last November. Go ahead. I I just want to interject because I do think this is one area that I hear it gets really confusing for people because people Mm. will say, Oh, well, I heard that they, that money has been spent. I think it's also important to clarify that like when these settlements were happening, I, I remember because I worked for a municipality at the time when we had to decide as a municipality, were we going to sign on to these lawsuits? Memorandums. Oh yeah. yeah lawsuits. If we were going to yeah. sign on as a municipality or together with the state. And so we decided, um, the municipality that I worked for decided that they were going to sign on separately. So that meant that this municipality would have a separate pile of money in addition to this state money, which is what we're talking about today, they will still be able to access this state money once we know what that process looks like. Municipalities in Maine have absolutely already received money and absolutely already spent it with absolutely zero transparency or oversight or knowledge of like, where did the money go? What is it being spent on? Lewiston's a great example. Sanford is another one. That money has been spent and they're going to continue to receive this money, I think, for 18 additional years or 18 years total. And they have already decided where that money is going. And it's this really kind of gross way of spending it on what is what the recommendations are. And we'll kind of talk about that too, but doing it in a way that that really is not at all what this money was intended for. And so I think this recovery council, I think that the intentions are good, right? Like to create a process, to create some oversight about how this money is spent. However, there is a lot of this money that has already been spent 
spent in, in areas that like we really would prefer it not to be spent because <laughs> there's other places to spend it instead. It's such a great clarification, Zoe, that municipalities and counties also receive money and in a lot of cases also spent that money and in a lot of cases didn't have public hearings about it. That is very concerning to me. And so the money is being used to supplant other monies as opposed to we have this emergency situation and we should be figuring out a way to do more. This is blood money, right? This is blood money. Yeah. This yep. is money that has cost Mainers their lives. Maine families are eternally affected by what happened. And what is playing out is playing out right now. Today, two people will die of an accidental overdose in Maine. That's what the data shows us. Now we are a year past when LD-1722 became law. Sorry, we are a year and a half past that. We are a year past when the Maine Recovery Council, still hate the name, started its work and still no dollars have gone out. Why are we giving this background to our listeners? We want to ask our listeners to get involved in this process. We need to make sure this money is spent in a way that doesn't just assist with things that are already created and already not enough. And to my view, one of the most important things and what I said to the Recovery Council in their public hearing a couple weeks ago, please do not use a single dollar of this money to continue the war on people who use drugs. And so that is what we are asking our listeners to be very vigilant about. Please go to the Maine Attorney General's website and look for the Maine Recovery Council. It has its own page on the Attorney General's website. Figure out when the meetings are. There's an email address there. Please send an email to those members talking about what you believe the money should be spent on. Where we are with a lot of missing parts, what else should we sort of talk about, Zoe, about this council and this money? What should we be paying attention to? I think that nationally, we are hearing from colleagues all over the country who are having really similar issues. We have friends in Ohio that we were just talking to when we were at a conference and really same kind of struggle, still like beating our heads against the wall to be recognized as a legitimate concept, right? Like we're still fighting to be heard. Like harm reduction is still this other thing. Now it's becoming more accepted. What's interesting is what is now, like what's acceptable within harm reduction. It's the same kind of thing we saw back at the beginning of the Mills administration. It was like, okay, what are we going to deem acceptable? You know, and it was naloxone, MAT, right? Medication for opioid use and like re-entry. Those were the things that were like, okay, we're going to spend money on this and we're going to spend all the money on this. And what happened? Well, we certainly didn't see a reduction in overdose deaths or a reduction in non-fatal overdoses either. If the goal is really to reduce the number of Mainers who are dying of opioid overdose, there are things that we can do. There are actually answers. There are solutions. There's proven evidence-based, you know, plenty of research. We we have the answers. We problem solved. We don't need to sit in any more meetings. I, I promise. And what was really interesting to see is like, oh, actually, nope, nope, that is not what they want to hear. And I can't figure out why in all of my years of doing this. Yes, I think it it brushes up against moral standards, you know, and sort of like, oh, wait, no, we can't do that. People made a choice. If you're using drugs, like you made that decision, like you're not taking care of your family, like you could, you should be going to work. You know, these like ideas that we have about people who use drugs really go up against this idea that everybody deserves to be safe. Everyone deserves access to healthcare that is healthy 
healthcare that works for them. Everyone deserves a housing situation that works for them. Those are things that should just be understood. And yet we really struggle to do those things for people who are making a choice in, in many people's minds to use drugs. And many people do make a choice to use drugs. Drugs are great. They take a lot of things away. They take pain away. They take all of those sort of like negative feelings, but they also feel really good. The world is in chaos. Our, you know, like we don't need to go there. It is an individual's choice. Maybe at one point in the beginning, we also know that it's not. We we know that generational trauma, you know, generational poverty, when we think about Washington County and like the fishing community, perfect mm-hmm. example. It's like, if you grew up in a fishing family and your grandfather fished and your father fished and you fished and now all your sons fish, you know, cause it is still pretty gender specific. You know, you are going out on that boat, whether your, you know, arm is half off, you know, cause you <laughs> cut it or like your back is broken or, you know, or it's negative 25 degrees. Like you're going fishing because that's how you take care of your family. And if you get injured, who's going to do that? No one's going to do that for you. It's not like you have a paid medical leave. And so I think like, we have to also recognize that like, while yes, the choice to take a substance might be someone's initial choice. It's, it's oftentimes not. And now we see so many people who are unable to access medications that they have identified being necessary or beneficial or helpful or whatever. I mean, God forbid you're somebody with a history of substance use and you, you know, go into the hospital in pain because I guarantee you're still to this day, not going to get proper pain management because that doctor is going to look at you and say, I am not comfortable prescribing that amount of blank to you. That right there is, is I think like what it all is, is like, it's these personal decisions like, Ooh, this doesn't feel right to me. So I'm going to make this like blanket decision for an entire state. And let's explore, you know, as a social worker, I don't see a lot of difference between physical pain and emotional pain. I don't judge them differently. For me, when I think about folks that I have spoken to who had a surgery, suffered some sort of disease, whatever it was that first time that substance got into their brain, pain relief is more than just physical pain relief. And we know that's true because there's a whole continuum of substances that we use for pain relief. I mean, I'm somebody who's almost three years a teetotaler. My, you know, drug of choice was alcohol. And we literally referred to my liquor cabinet as the medicine chest. I mean, that was my sort of joke in my house. I didn't realize how true that joke was. I didn't realize the kind of trauma I was trying to quiet or the internal pain from my day, my week, you know, life, the work. So, but I think we are coming closer, hopefully, to seeing that there's not that much difference between physical pain and emotional pain. You are here with Zoe Brokus from the Church of Safe Injection, and this is Charlotte Warren. I'm a Hollowell social worker, and you are listening to Ending the Drug War in Maine on Justice Radio. I want to say two things. So one, where where should the money be spent? Say what I'm really worried about is policymakers having a lack of imagination, feeling like, okay, the only thing we can spend this money on is things that are already existing. Doesn't 
really matter if they work or not. From my perspective, what I'm most concerned about is that it's going to be spent on things like the options program, which is still just sending cops to deal with folks who are struggling. Has never worked. You could put billions of dollars in it. Not going to work. I don't want this money going there. Where should the money go? How can we help people with some of this funding? You know, I think that's just it is like, and we can talk more about the actual council, but there's all, there's all these agendas, right? Like I, I see it, I sit in meetings all the time where it's like, okay, well, we know we, we're going to need funding for this. And like, well, there's a settlement funds, but like, we can't ask for it, or we don't know how to access it. You know, there's programs that are like counting on right. accessing that money. And so that's important for people to understand the process to access that money right now. It's still like, where should the money go? Where should the money not go? And I think that what we, what we know about harm reduction, what we know about the the work that my organization does and, and many others is that you can do a lot with not a lot of money. And we have, I mean, when we started and had our first brick and mortar, like fixed site, whatever you want to call it, we had no dollars, zero dollars. Then we had $50,000. And then suddenly, you know, there's been all of this other additional money just flooding in to substance use programming in general. And, and I think that's something else at some point to like look at and talk about, because like, I can't even keep track. It's like federal dollars, federal pass-through dollars, opioid overdose, da, 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 everything has an acronym. But you know, it's like, we've we've really learned as harm reductionists how to do our work without a lot of money because the work that we do, right? Many of us run syringe service programs. So we're, we're purchasing supplies, we're purchasing clean medical supplies and distributing it in the community. And we're taking in used equipment, syringes, keeping those off the streets. That costs money. Absolutely. Biohazard waste disposal, no joke. But what we can do with, with just a small amount of money, the magic happens in all the other stuff. It's not, a, anyone can hand out a bag of clean syringes. It's about building relationships. It's about building community. And I was talking to my partner about this yesterday and they were saying like, the answer is community. What people need is community, period. And no. Zoe, it's the answer to so many questions. That is what is missing in so many of these things that we're trying to fix, but you keep going. I interrupted. I apologize. No, no, it's okay. I think, and that doesn't actually cost that much because what we can do, you know, what our organization has done with now, you know, now we have, let's call it an $800,000 operating budget, a team of 12, we're in three counties. We, we distribute a lot of supplies, a lot in the lock zone, make a ton of referrals, get people connected, but it's the relationship building. It's the people who, who know they have somewhere to come where they're not going to be judged. And people say that really lightly, like, oh yeah, meet people where they're at. Yeah, no, it's actually really, really challenging to show up not just once, but to continue to show up for folks who are sometimes really struggling, sometimes aren't, not all drug users struggle, but have like the need for this community and, and show up every single day in crisis sometimes, sometimes not. But, you know, the needs are so great. We're not going to be able to solve all of those. We're not going to be able to provide housing for every single person who needs housing in Maine. It's really too bad because we actually could very easily if we wanted to, but it's deeper than that. You can't just put somebody in an apartment and say, okay, they're housed. A lot of people cannot live like that, don't want to live like that, have been sleeping outside, living outside for 10 years. Going inside and sleeping in an apartment is not maybe the safest for them. You know, all of these other issues are so huge. Generational poverty, you know, access to mental health services. We can't maybe solve all of that with this recovery council money, but we certainly can 
and invest in programs that build community, just period. And I feel like we have a couple of good folks at the state who get that and they're really working. I'm watching it and it's pretty beautiful. They're like really working to like funnel just all of this money, you know, their little piece of it that they're getting, they're just funneling it directly into an acceptable term that now is okay to say, and people like it and it makes them feel good. Peer support, right? They don't Love really it. that means, but I'm like, sure. Because what is peer support? Peer support is harm reduction. It has been forever. People don't realize it. It's hidden behind this other acceptable term, right? So like, let's just, we'll call it peer support, but that's what we need. And so we're starting to see more investment made into like peer led community centers. We're about to open one. That's where the magic will actually happen in these spaces that are safe for individuals who are using drugs to be, to exist, to live, to, you know, comfortably spend time without being told that they're a bad person. And slowly, it will be a slow process. We can't just build community centers and then think everything's going to be fine. No, community is what people need and what they strive for. And we see when people die they and they die alone, which is so often the case, that is the piece that is missing. Even if it's just missing in that moment, even people who have community, but in that moment, community isn't there. So how do we build that? Well, I don't think it costs very much money. We're talking about, there's a bunch of different models that I think are effective. We need to stop doing this thing in Maine where we're like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that one thing. And we're going to invest all the money into that one thing and then wonder why it doesn't work. No, we need all kinds of different models, all kinds of different options. And we need to invest in things that have been researched maybe, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be too limiting with that, but like there is plenty of research and there are plenty of good people who have been doing this work for a long time who can show us, yes, this is an effective model. We do not need to reinvent any wheel. We don't need to come up with anything new or crazy. We just need to like put the money in places where community can be built and continued and see what happens. And then like get out of the way, let the community do that, like not get involved. You know, I think that's one of the issues with the options program is it's like, it's maybe in some, now I only work in larger communities, right? My experience is Portland, Lewiston. I know that in rural parts of the state, sometimes the only person in that area who is working with people who use drugs is the options liaison and they kick ass and they do the work the best that they can do. I know that. Um, However, they are directly tied to law enforcement and no matter what that causes harm and it causes this power dynamic that you cannot erase no matter how great you are at, at your job, it is a power dynamic and it makes people think twice about what they're going to share, what they're going to say. And so I think we just need to be really thoughtful about that. There is no research to support that the options program is effective. And imagine if we were able to do that same sort of wraparound service, right? That same sort of like the person, whoever this person is that you're talking about, who's doing this work as an options worker. Imagine the success rate if we could decouple them from law enforcement, right? Because here's the deal, regardless of what you've got going on in your life, if you have to have an interaction with a law enforcement officer, there is shame there. There Mm -hmm. is stigma there. We all know it, right? I live in a condo association. The last thing I want to do is have law enforcement show up at my house, right? Because then it's like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I just had to knock on my door and I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. Let me put the dog away. Like, you know, it's always causes a reaction. It's just like, no one wants to go to the hospital. You know, it's the same thing. All know that that is true. So let's figure out a way exactly what you said to build that community 
community that is welcome for everyone. To use the person who does the outreach, the official term, right? The peer support. But let's call it something else. Let's call it person support, human yeah. support, community member support, friend support. It's mm-hmm. what we all know to do already, right? Mm-hmm. What do we do when somebody has a death in the family? We all reach out. You know, we take them food. We figure out a way, you know, what do you need? Can I take the children? Can I take the animals? It's peer support. It's person to person love. It's connection. Mm-hmm. We've figured it out. We're doing it so much more in mental health. We're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of success in mental health when we can connect a person with someone else of a similar experience. We are going to come back at this topic. We are hoping to bring on one or two folks from this group of people and talk to them. But here's what we want you to do. Please go to the Office of the Attorney General in Maine's website. You can probably just Google Maine Recovery Council. Know that it's on the Office of the Attorney General's website. There's an email address. Please start sending contact to those people. Mm -hmm. Whatever way you want to say it, what should this opioid settlement fund money be spent on? You might also say what I said to them in the public hearing a couple weeks ago. Please pick up the pace. And the example that I used was, you know, when COVID came, we changed everything in the blink of an eye. I was in the legislature then. We had a huge bunch of laws we changed because we knew this is an emergency situation. We need to throw everything out the window and save lives. Mm -hmm. We should be doing that in this situation. When I think about like, and using COVID as a great example is it's the example of our lifetime. There was money suddenly for things. We need to do that. Like people need money. People need support. A lot of people are really struggling. A lot of people, you know, the housing crisis is real. We need to really put on blast these municipal leaders who are intentionally voting against services and support for people who are living in poverty, people who are experiencing generational trauma, like refusing to have emergency shelters. I don't want emergency shelters anywhere. Uh, I want housing options and access for everyone, but we also need safe places for people to just be and go. And if you show up to a community, I mean, we've had people get dropped off like on Main Street in Lewiston, you know, who just got out of prison, just dropped off. And what we always say to them is honestly, anywhere else, but this city, you don't want to be here. There is nothing for you here. We need to make sure that we have those like basic emergency services. And there is money. We know there's money. There's millions of dollars that like I have experienced in meetings recently where it's like, what should we spend this money on? There's so much money. We don't know what to do with it. And it's like, I'm really concerned with our public schools. I'm really concerned about our children. And if we want to change this cycle, we need to invest in education. Our teachers are struggling. And if you're a cop that works in a school, you make twice as much as the teachers. And that is infuriating. We need to invest in curriculum uh, for our children that fosters just that community. These kids don't go outside. We need to talk about that too. Like that's directly connected. Education and like the Department of Education is not a separate issue. Just like recovery and harm reduction aren't separate issues. We're the same. People in recovery are people who use harm reduction. People who use harm reduction are in recovery. Whatever that means, I think. You said it so beautifully at the beginning, Zoe, where you said everybody deserves access to health care. And that's what this is. It's human care, mm-hmm. regardless of what the issue is that you're struggling with or that's occasionally causing you some sort of 
struggle. We all need care. Yeah. In the way that works for us. Right. Not somebody else's, what they think we need. Yeah. Right. right. But what we need. I'm glad we're back together. Thank you for listening after our summer and fall break. This again is Charlotte Warren and Zoe Broca. And we are doing the Ending the Drug War podcast on Justice Radio. We'll see you next month. Thanks so much. Thank you.